Here we go. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our third part in this series called Unshakable, Standing Up in a Bowed Down World. In case you missed, you know, week one, we've been going through the book of Daniel. In week one, we learned from Daniel what it looks like to stand fast and understand that God is in control. That we can, no matter what goes on, when a culture changes, that he is in control and that we can respond in humility and be guided by God's wisdom. Last week, we talked about you know, being focused on the mission, focused on the mission when things begin to change and focus on his kingdom. And this week, uh, we're talking about what many of you have waited for called confrontation done right. Now, speaking of confrontation, in our culture, protesting is uh, one of the ways to express in unity with others you know, what we believe is right or wrong. And we've had a lot of that over the last couple of years. But some ones that you may not have been aware of, you know, these last two years that you missed out, you know, maybe you want to participate in the future, it would be some of these. Like, for, the, for example, during the pandemic, uh, you remember this, we demand haircuts. You know, that was the real pressing issue in people's minds and lives as it started. Like, but look at my hair. Do you understand what this does in my life? Um, uh, this one's always an annual event, um, the stop Premature Christmas decorating, you know, uh, protests, you know, like stop, you know, let's get in front of those Walmarts and Costco's of the world, stop with the Christmas decorating. Uh, in Cal Berkeley, they just protest everything. In fact, this last year, they protested Panda Express, you know, just coming onto their campus. We're not sure if it was the bears or the wonderful, healthy, tasty food. We're not sure. There was actually no really rhyme or reason. They just wanted to protest. But my favorite of all, you know, is this guy. What do we want? Uh, time travel. When do we want it? It's irrelevant. Uh, some of you guys are going to have to process that, you know, lean to your neighbor if you didn't get that to understand what that means. And so I want to make light because over the last two years, uh, people have protested so many heavy and hard things. And so let me just remind you of just some of them, which most of you can probably identify quickly, just like I did. Things like the election results in some states, including January 6th, which protesters broke into our capital. People protested for Black Lives Matter and defund the police and counter protests of All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter took place. We even had an autonomous zone in place like Seattle called the CHAZ. People protested schools being online after a while. Others protested government overreach from masks to vaccines to businesses or restaurants being closed. How about the sex education bill here in Washington or the protests that are ongoing for or against abortion? More recently, the truckers in Ottawa and the invasion of Russia into Ukraine. If you want to make sure we're continuing to pray for and finding ways to reach out and help. And these are just some of the bigger ones that made the news with many, many other examples. The reason I bring that up is because I got asked uh, more often than not by Christians, when is it our turn to protest? When is it our turn to stand up? When is it our turn to finally say enough is enough? And so we want to answer that today. Now, some went further, and uh, they told me that pastors and churches are not standing and fighting, which shows cowardice and weakness. I literally, you know, had people who came to me who'd been part of this church for several years who said, we are leaving this church because you and the church leadership are not taking a stand for or against some of the things that I had already mentioned, which broke my heart, to be honest with you, and made me really mad. At times, you know, I have to kind of continue to work through that. I wonder, can you feel the tension in the room yet? I know I can. So today, uh, we're going to have a very real, it's going to be heavy, uh, very poignant, very biblical conversation 
Again, like the rest of the series, uh, this is primarily for those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus. And as we walk through this, I just want to ask you to just to really, uh, as things come up, just to be able to process it through the lens of the Lord, through his word, and through godly counsel with other people. I'm not going to be the one to say I get everything perfect, but I think this is a help to answer uh, the big questions that we have had over the last couple of years. But let me start with this foundation before we dive into the meat of this. As a follower of Jesus, uh, you're going to eventually have to take a stand. Uh, that's what we know. You're going to have to take, you've had to take, or you will have to take a stand for Christ. The temptation's going to be, when given that opportunity of that moment, is going to choose not to stand. But Jesus warns us and reminds us, in Matthew chapter 10, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. That's pretty heavy, pretty weighty. Now, compared to places like China or places in the Middle East today, it's not nearly as hard to stand up as followers of Christ in our country. But know this, you will be persecuted at some point in your life if you remain a follower of Jesus. Now, you might have already been persecuted by just being made fun of, you know, uh, by just because people found out you're a Christian, uh, just being at your school or your work, you know, or your neighborhood because you wouldn't participate or go along with whatever was going to happen at the same time. Now, you've already maybe have been persecuted, even though you've said nothing, but just because you said you're a follower of Christ and you've been labeled, you know, someone who is homophobic or transphobic or a hater of the LGBTQ plus community. You might not get that promotion or a raise because you chose not to allow the ends to justify the means. You might lose your job if you don't conform to something that you know Jesus would not want you to conform to. And the list goes on and on and on. Persecution is coming. Persecution is rising. Persecution is here for followers of Jesus. But in that, there is blessing and there's hope. For Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you for no other reason then because you are my followers, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Something I want you to come to terms with as we lay this foundation of standing is if you're a follower of Christ, you are already hated. You are hated. Satan hates you and he wants to destroy you. He roams around like a roaring lion looking to devour people who are following after God. So you're going to have to take a stand against his attacks. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us the final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to, notice this, stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, one sort of encouragement is that Satan doesn't go after people who are in name only as a Christian. He really only targets those who are living their lives and their lifestyles in obedience to Jesus being Lord of our lives. If not, then he usually lets those people be because they're not a threat to him. Last thing I want to mention as we kind of set this foundation is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament is Joshua. 
Joshua has been commissioned by God after Moses to lead the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, into the promised land. And so God, God is leading through Joshua, and he's chosen him, he's commissioned him, and as he goes into the first major city called Jericho, uh, Joshua confronts a person that he doesn't know who he is. And I want you to see this interaction. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Now obviously, if he represents God, he's going to be for Joshua. If he represents God, he's going to be for the people of Israel. If it happens to be an angel on behalf of the Lord, then obviously he's going to be like, I'm on your side, Joshua, and yet it should shock us to hear this angel's response, for he says, neither. Like, what? Neither? He replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. See, when you take a stand, what we need to do is ask, am I on God's side? Instead of asking like what I do at times, God, please just be on my side. Right? We have a tendency to do that. We think that we're, we're more in the right than other Christians. And we're like, okay, God's obviously not on your side. He's on my side. And so he's obviously going to bless me. But we got to back up one step and just ask the question, God, am I on your side? Because that is what the angel is presenting to Joshua. So the first thing I want you to embrace is that at some point and at some level in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to need to stand up for Christ or against the attacks of the devil. Now, if that is the foundation we're going to focus on for the bulk of our time left together is trying to answer this question. And like I said, it's going to rough up some feathers. And so, again, you, if you've got issues, you can contact Steve Allen, you know, um, at our church. He'd love to answer because he's our outreach pastor and he loves to handle these things. But here's the question we're going to answer. What does God call us to stand for? This is what we've been asking. What does God call us to stand for? And here's what I can tell you, in looking at the whole of Scripture, as well as early Christianity, outside the community of faith, there are two primary headings in which God is calling us to stand for. So let's start by looking at the first one, by looking at our Bibles, in the book of Daniel, now we're in chapter 3. So go ahead and open to chapter 3, and as you're looking there, let me just give you a little background on what's happening. King Nebuchadnezzar is still in charge. It's been a couple years since chapter two ended, and as he's in charge, he decides it would be a great idea to erect a statue that's gonna be 90 feet tall and about nine feet wide. Think of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., except for it's going to be in the shape of himself, and it's gonna be this gold statue. And he thinks what's a great idea is let's get all of the cultures that we've dominated, all the people together, and at the sound of the musical instruments, Everybody is to bow down and worship the statue. And so what happens is this begins to take place, and here's Daniel, and here's his three friends with them, as we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the first thing I want you to notice is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decide not to bow down. But they don't do it in the center for everybody to see and to make an uproar. In fact, it's people off to the side, other people who are jealous of their position in the government at this time that bring this attention to King Nebuchadnezzar, we pick up in verse 12. But there are some Jews, they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, whom you have, uh, uh, they have paid no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage 
And he ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you're going to be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the God of the gold statue that you have set up. So this enrages him just even a little bit more. So instead of just throwing him into the fiery furnace, he decides to bound them. Let's make it a little toastier. He makes it seven times hotter, seven times hotter. And it's so hot, in fact, that the guys who are throwing them into the fiery furnace die because of the heat. That's how hot it is. Now he's sitting back thinking, all right, we're done with this. After a few moments, he says, hey guys, how, how many did we throw in? Like, come on, king. I don't know if it's hot in the day or something like that, but we threw in three. He goes, well, that's interesting because I see four. They're walking around in there and one looks like the son of God. And so they're just stunned you know, about what's happening. So he calls into the fiery furnace and says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, why don't you come on out? And when they came out, it says the fire had not touched them, not a hair on their heads were singed. Their clothing was not scorched, and they didn't even smell like smoke. That's crazy. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied, stood up against the king's command, and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. So the first thing that we are called in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the early church to stand up for is the worship of the one and only true God. That we're never to stop worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In fact, shortly after Jesus' day, much of the persecution that took place was because they refused to worship any of the gods that Rome was trying to push, especially the one that's called Caesar, that they would not conform or bow down to. And so Christians were killed. They were murdered. They were, they were crucified. They were burned alive at the stake. They were thrown into the Colosseum at, as entertainment you know, to those who would watch these lions devour them. For because they were following Jesus Christ and refused to worship anybody or anything else but the one true God. That is what they took a stand for. In fact, you remember you know, the one time that Jesus kind of flew off the rails? At least it looks like. He isn't really. He's always in control. But he's sitting there in the temple, and he's literally making a whip. And then he gets up, and he starts whipping, and he starts overturning the tables. I'm just telling you, I never saw that on my flannel board when I was in Sunday school. It's awesome. That's a picture of Jesus. You're like, yeah, he's kicking butt and taking names. You know, he's just, he just, going, all, just going to town. You know, all that kind of stuff. Why was he so mad? He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, 
and you've turned it into a den of robbers. You're hindering people's worship and connection to me, and I'm drawing the line. That's enough. In fact, you see, the other times that he railed was against the religious leaders who continue to put extra weight on the people's connection to God that they couldn't even lift themselves. And it's like, what's wrong with you people? You're hindering people's worship and connection to me. How about the Apostle Paul? Wrote most of the New Testament. He comes across these people known as Judaizers who are trying to help people understand, you know what Paul told you about Jesus isn't completely true. You actually have to become Jewish and then you can become a Christian. And Paul's like, what is wrong with you? You are putting a yoke and a burden that was never intended to be in people's connection to God. Today, people are being persecuted and killed because they refuse to bow down to anyone other than Jesus Christ. Think about how this all started. Even before humanity was created, Lucifer, known as Satan, in Isaiah chapter 14, we're told that he's cast out because he wanted to be God. He wanted to be the one that people worshiped and God took a stand and cast him down. In fact, at the end of time, the end of all days, it says the battle in the last days will be about worship. The Antichrist will set up in a temple, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and demand people to worship him. This will be the defining marker for true followers of Jesus versus the rest of the world. Worship. We take a stand for worship. We don't back down. We say we're only going to worship one person, one God, and he is king and king and lord of lords, and his name is Jesus. Secondly, and just as important as if you're a follower of Jesus, that we're called to stand up for is to stand up for the mission of Christ. I talked about this last week. The mission of Christ is to share with the world, starting with people in our own backyard, of the good news, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus says to teach them to obey. And so we're encouraging people to hear and receive the message of Jesus Christ. This is what we know the early church was persecuted for. The Apostle Paul over and over, but let's back up even a little bit further. Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, Peter and John, they're walking to the temple after Jesus' resurrection, and they see this guy who's been crippled from birth, and they heal him. Guess what that does? Stir a crowd. Crowds around them. So they start telling them about Jesus and just starts proclaiming Jesus. Well, the religious leaders don't like that, so they call him in. They arrest him. They question him. They throw him out. They come in. They question him again, and then this is the verdict in Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. Their stand was in sharing the message of Jesus. So many times in our culture, in our DNA, people are made fun of told not to share about Jesus in our schools, in our workplaces, and in public areas. In other parts of the world, people are truly persecuted, imprisoned, and killed for simply refusing to stop sharing this message, the message of Jesus, with other people. The mission that we should always and will always stand up for, if you're a follower of Jesus and the church, that might cost you something, or might cost you something dearly, is the willingness, regardless of persecution, to stand in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet received him. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 10. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. 
So be as shrewd as snakes, but as harmless as doves. Be aware, for you'll be handed over to the courts and be flogged with whips in the synagogues. Why? Just because you're sharing the message of Jesus. You're going to stand before trial before governors and kings because you're my followers. That's the reason you're going to stand before trial. But then notice how Jesus makes this emphasis. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me, proclaiming the message of Jesus. So much of the New Testament, we see persecution taking place because they chose to worship God above all and, and they refused to stop spreading the message of Jesus. The Apostle Paul gets whipped. He gets thrown in prison. He's shipwrecked. He goes through all this hardship for no other reason than because he's sharing to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, this message of Jesus Christ, and they couldn't shut him up. They said, this is the stand I'm going to make because this is what Christ has called me to live for in worship of him and sharing him with others. So let's self-reflect. Over the past two years, with all the ways that we've stood up, been upset and protested, and man, I've been upset at times, have you stood up for the importance of worshiping God and secondly, of sharing Christ with others, even if it costs you something? These are the top two when it comes outside of the walls of Christian community. But now we've got to ask ourselves, how do we do as a church? Last week, I told you that we focused on the mission. We saw God do, and when chaos and, 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 and difficulty come, that's such an opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ that people are open to hear it maybe than they've never heard it before, or at least in this way. But what about worship? How do we do? As you remember, we stopped meeting you know, um, on-site, indoors, for a few months. Uh, people at that time said that the, this was persecution against the church and they were fearful of the government and they were disappointed that we didn't stand. As we prayed and processed through that, the challenge was we never saw this, especially those first few months, as persecution against the church because if that's the case, then so were the Zags and the Seahawks and the businesses and the schools and the government facilities and entertainment and every part of society. We were all equally persecuted. And so he said, no, 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 we need to keep worshiping. We'll never shut down, but we need to find other alternatives until we figure out where we're at with this whole pandemic thing. You might also remember the governor had told me that I had to wear a mask, you know, when preaching and proclaiming the gospel and that all of our singers and players, especially early on, they had to wear a mask, but we said no, because we said that's going to hinder people's connection and worship, especially if you have to go online. And even as we gathered outside that we thought that was a hindrance to worship God. So we made that decision. Now, we did present our government with inconsistencies. You might remember there was some fun memes that were going along because for essential services in places like Walmart and Target and, and Costco, you could have up to 250 or 300 people early on. And so some of you humorously sent me little memes that said, hey, maybe we should just hold church services at Walmart, you know, and, uh, you know, we can just hold it there. And so we got a little kick out of it. But what you need to know is we want to address inconsistencies. So we got together with the other church, large churches in the Spokane Valley area. We met with our mayor of Spokane Valley, as well as a councilwoman, and we drafted a letter to which the mayor then handed off to the governor. Now, I'm going to give God all the credit for this, because unlike Oregon and unlike California, one week later after you received that letter from us, we were allowed to begin to meet indoors again. The sports were not. Schools were not, entertainment was not, but we got a chance to gather again, praise God. That was something we got excited about. 
Now, masks. Oh, that's another fun one. Oh, there was, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, got lots of emails saying we're given into fear, you know, by encouraging or modeling. We struggled with this. You know, remember, I live in Idaho. After two weeks, we flattened the curve. There's never been an issue <laughs> since that time. But we went to back to God's word and we kept rereading passages of scripture in Romans 13, Romans 14, and other texts. And so we decided to model as staff and as volunteers the wearing of masks in that season. But as you might remember, we didn't police it because we knew that this was kind of a gray issue and hot topic and based on where you were when it came to that, whatever your stance on masks is, we were okay with both sides of it, but we were gonna err on this side because we wanted to follow, as God's word says, the government where we can. Lastly, you might remember, the governor said as cases were going up that one point we had to stop singing in church. We didn't have to pray about that one. We just said no. That was something that was so obvious that we're like, you know what? There's no reason we're gonna stop worshiping God. What you may not know is that, that even that meant the possibility of getting fined and financially impacting this church, which is why the elders and us wrestle through these kinds of things to know that there's impact whenever you make a stand. Now, there's other things that this gives you an idea that definitely we don't, I'm not going to pretend that we did everything perfectly, but our focus was worship of God on site, online, plus the mission driving the decisions, and that will be our driver moving forward. Those are the two primary areas that the Bible talks about when it comes to standing up outside the Christian community. Now, there is one more that talks about what we should do inside Christian community, and that is we're called to stand up for the word of God in the lives of followers of Christ. We're supposed to stand up. Second Timothy tells us all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. Or Galatians 6.1, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, here's an opportunity to stand in the gap, to stand up for that person. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation. In 1 Corinthians 5.12, one of my favorites, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. We are called, when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, to be in each other's lives, to correct, to rebuke, to discipline, always in love when all of us find ourselves wandering from the path of what Christ-centered community looks like in terms of loving God and loving others. The majority of the New Testament is written to Christians in the church on how they should behave in relationship with God and other people. And yet, one, let me just tell you one of our issues. A professor of a college is walking down the street and they see you and they grab you and they put you against a little wall. You're a little shocked. You're a little taken back. And he begins to berate you. He begins to tell you, you have failed my class. You didn't turn in the assignments when you were supposed to. You didn't participate in class when you were supposed to. You didn't do the homework. You didn't even show up to class when you were supposed to. And in your stunned moment of silence at that point, you get enough courage and you respond back to the professor, uh, uh, sir, I never signed up for your class. I'm not in your class. 
And that is what we do for those not connected to the family of God. We take what's in the church or what Christ wrote to the church through Paul and we look at the world and say, why aren't you following what you should obviously be following? And they're looking at us going, I never signed up for that. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Why am I under being held to something I never signed up for? Let me say it this way. One of our issues is we stand up against those not following the values of the kingdom who have never agreed to be in the kingdom, which then turns them off from the king and kingdom. We do this on a regular basis. There's a different judgment that's coming for those who never accept Christ. And so they don't need any more from us. Our job is to worship God and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't yet know him, regardless of the persecution. So we're to stand up for the worship of the Lord. Let's stand up for the mission. We're to stand up with one another in the word of God and following him. And there's one more, but this last one is actually fits best under the first two. And I think you'll see what I mean as I explain this, because the last way that Christians are supposed to stand is to stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves. In Proverbs 31, 8, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. In the Old and New Testament, there's more categories, but there seem to be three primary categories in which this applies. The first is the fatherless, the second are those who are in need, and the third are widows. And Psalm 68, five is one example. It says, father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. Or James 1.27, our New Testament says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you, staying focused on Christ. So for the fatherlessness, if you just look at that category, this is one of the reasons why abortion is a key subject for followers of Jesus to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. This is why orphans are a big deal for followers of Jesus. This is why helping single moms is a big deal for followers of Jesus. How about for the needy? This is why helping the poor, the poor in spirit, is important for followers of Christ. This is why helping widows here and the widows and orphans in places like Uganda is key. Now here's the key. This is what drove Christians over the years to lead the charge to abolish slavery and racial reconciliation, to say we want to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Now, most importantly, and this is why this is important to put under the first two categories, it's not just to help those who can't help themselves, but to help those who can't themselves help themselves so they can receive and worship Jesus. We're not just out there just helping people and being good human beings to one another. The purpose of Christians helping people is so that by your actions and your words, all of us, eternity is at stake, and that we want to show them the love of Christ, and we do this in his name, that they would receive Christ and then eventually worship him both now and for all eternity, which is why that category best fits under number one and number two. Now, here's what's interesting to me with these things that I've mentioned, and please send me something if I've, if I've missed something. Or send it to Steve, either way. What is not, what, what have I not mentioned? Where in all the Bible, especially in the New Testament, especially in the life of Jesus, do we ever, ever see them rail on the political culture or climate of the day? You think our culture is bad? 
What about the atrocities in Jesus's day and the injustices that were taking place in Rome during that time frame? It's just something that I know I'm wrestling with, and maybe you can join me in that wrestle. Which leads us to this last question. How then are we supposed to stand? If this is what we're supposed to stand for, then how are we supposed to stand? And first Peter tells us, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. There it is again. Worship God first as Lord. And if someone asks you about the hope that you have a believe, as a believer, there's the mission of Christ, always be ready to explain this, and this is how you do it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. See, we're supposed to stand how in a way that reflects Jesus. So ask yourself, over the last two years, and I didn't like this question because I didn't like my response, I'll be honest with you. When you stood for something these last two years, did you do it in a way that honored Jesus? Did or does your stand reflect the values, the purpose, and the ways that Jesus did it? Uh, let me just be clear with one, just one, there's so many examples, let me just be clear with one. Let's go Brandon is not becoming of a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not. We are called to pray for our government leaders, especially the ones we disagree with. It's not what Christ would want us to do or behave. We want to be way more known for what we're for than what we are against. Why? Because that's what Jesus and his disciples and the first church was known for. There were so many things that they could be known for, and that was what they were most known for, was worshiping God and telling others about him. So I need you to self-reflect as I have when it comes to taking a stand. What are you known for? What are you known for? I have been very passionate about my opinions on some of the crazy, idiotic, unforeseen things that has come from our government in many ways, shapes, and form, but I have tried to be careful about where and how to share those opinions. In fact, I met with a guy this week who I thought was very enlightened. He said he had to have a conversation with his wife because during a season, his wife on social media only posted things concerning masks and vaccine over and over and over and over again. Finally, he sits down with her and he says to her, he goes, do you understand what you're becoming known for? And could that thing that you're becoming known for hinder the message and witness of Jesus that I know is evident in your life? And I just sat back when he said that to me and I said, that's, that's, that is an interesting perspective. You see, if what we're known for is primarily what we're against, doesn't that overshadow our testimony or faith in Jesus Christ? Let me go one step further. We have unintentionally, unintentionally, turned people off to the message of Jesus because we have overemphasized our thoughts and opinions more than the worship and message of Jesus Christ. I have literally talked to non-Christians and other pastors in different parts of our country to non-Christians who've said, I want nothing to do with Christianity. And when asked, why don't you want anything to do with Christianity? Their response, literally to me and others have been, it's because if I'm a Christian, then I have to vote for Trump and be against vaccines. And you're like, what are you talking about? Now, let me be clear. There is nothing wrong with voting for Trump. A lot of the policies, a lot of the things that were in place are great reflections of Christ Jesus. 
And there's nothing wrong being for or against vaccines. We talked about the last week. But what are we known for? And have we thought, how does that message impact the world for Jesus Christ and in our worship of him? That's the litmus test, is don't listen to Dan. What was Jesus and his disciples known for in a culture that was very, very far from God? And I think we'll find our answer. So how do we take this stand? Let me encourage you. Stop watching the news and go deeper in your relationship with Christ through his word. You gotta let it rest. It's only there for clicks and just to get you all hyped up about different things. I didn't realize how much I was, I was getting involved in some of this stuff until I really reduced my amount of time on social media because I knew it was doing it to me internally and spending more time focused on his word. The Bible says it this way. We gotta put on our armor to stand every day, don't we? And when I don't have time to go through it again, we did a whole series of what exactly that looks like. What does it look like to put on the armor of God every single day? In fact, it's called Armor Up, and I think we did it last, uh, in, in 2020 of October to November. What does God say, say armor up? Because again, you're armoring up, why? Because you're gonna be in a fight, you're in a battle. We gotta put on our armor. Lastly, and this is important, as I told you week one, I am blessed, and I love living in the United States of America. I told you how honored I am and what it feels like every time I travel to come back and be like, I am home. And because of this, and because we live in the country that most of us love, we get a chance to use our God-given democratic process and opportunities. And we need to use those. So what do we do when we disagree with the eight cents per bag that I mentioned last week, the big things? But what do we do when we feel like our freedoms are being taken away? What do we do with the truckers in Iowa? What about when they go after our guns? What about when we venomously disagree with kids in school or online? We can and should in our country use our democratic rights given to us by this great nation to exercise our free will to voice to vote for or against what we believe is right. It's an amazing privilege to live in this country in this way. Just make sure that we're aligned with God on his word when you do so, and when you do it in a Christ-like way. As a church, we're not gonna do it perfectly, but we're gonna try to make sure that our focus is primarily on the worship of the God and our mission of helping people know and become more like him. So for you, what and how is God asking you to stand? All of us are gonna be called to stand. What does that look like in your life? Now, again, it's not about my words. It's about his. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. May my words pass away. May your word remain. And Father, I pray that if we've been challenged, you know, in a specific way, we would just go back to you in prayer and your word and godly counsel. Father, we just want to be led by you individually and as a church. So Father, help us. Help us to see what your word has to say and continue to follow you accordingly. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.